everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This is, of course, a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at another anime that has had a uh, specific or significant cultural impact in Canada. And the title we're talking about today is Ulysses 31. If you're more familiar with titles that have been broadcast in English in Canada, uh, you might not have heard of this one because I don't believe... Uh, the English dub ever aired anywhere up here. But of course, uh, it was a fairly big title on Radio Canada in French back in the 1980s. And joining me today, I have two guests to discuss this further. Um, uh, first, I'd like to welcome back to the show yet again, Mike Toole, uh, who I, I think used to work for Anime Jump or something. Oh yeah, that was my uh, that was my website from way back in the day, uh, back in the late '90s and 2000s. All of my email accounts and a whole bunch of stuff, you know, still have the Anime Jump moniker because uh, I can't let go of these things. But uh, hey, uh, thanks for having me back. And I would like to say, after last night's uh, World Cup qualifying soccer match, uh, it's not Zanin Canada, more like Sasuga Canada, because because <laughs> your guys came down to the U.S. and you uh, you matched us. You we, held us we to did, a draw. yeah. A very good result for Canada. A great team, and it's concerning for us. We were expected to do better. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, and uh, joining us for the first time is Etienne. He does the web comic uh, Frivolous. <laughs> Frivolous. Yeah, right? Frivolous. Yeah. So, uh, Des, yeah, yeah. You, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Etienne or Des, uh, however you want to uh, go by. Can you uh, introduce yourself? Well, yeah. Well, I'm. I'm. Uh, my name is Des. Uh, Etienne Desolet. Des for short. Um, I'm a webcomic artist, like you just said, and uh, I'm a French Canadian. If you haven't noticed yet by the accent, uh, <laughs> I've always been a big anime fan since the uh, 1980s because I grew up with that stuff. Like, I, I guess we were very, very lucky in uh, in French Canada <laughs> to grow up with a lot of anime. Uh, on Radio Canada and, uh, and TV at the time, that yeah. came from. Uh, Mostly came from France and uh, really like defined my generation, I guess. Like all of the kids my age grew up with those shows, and yeah. we've always been. I feel like we've always been more. Um, how should I say that? Like more attuned like to Japanese uh, pop culture than our uh, English-speaking peers because of that. Like we had a head start when it came to uh, Japanese animation, right? Yeah, exactly. There was just such a strong foundation for it. Um, you know, in France and Quebec. And, you know, there's so much stuff that was dubbed in Montreal as well. And, you know, a lot of, especially the stuff on Radio Canada, you could watch it all across the country, but obviously, if you didn't speak French. It wasn't French. French. Yeah. But uh, if you didn't speak French or you weren't one of those kids whose parents made them uh, watch French television just so they could absorb French for, you know, whatever reason. Because that is a thing. <laughs> it was probably overlooked. A lot of the time, and that's and that's really too bad. And I, uh, you know, I want to try and restore that narrative and kind of bring the pieces together for uh, for English and French speaking Canada. Uh, Ulysses thirty one. I don't think it's something that re ran too often into the nineties, but it was a fairly significant title in the nineteen eighties. Uh, it was a France Japan co production uh, that re envisioned Greek mythology as disco space adventures set in the thirty uh, first century. It definitely wasn't the first France-Japan co-production. It was the first half-hour production from Deke, and it was a co-production between that company and Tokyo Movie Shinsha. And uh, also notable, I think it must be the only cartoon I can think of where, like, the main character has a full beard. Like, I, I've been trying to think <laughs> of something else. 
funny you should bring that because I remember that when I was a kid, I didn't like that at all. I like in the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't. It took some getting used to. It, yeah, like I, I was, I was a little boy, and I wanted the the little boy to, character to be the main character, but but no, the, it, it was his dad, and it was why he was that there. Weird, that weird to me at the it, time. It is, it, it is odd because like I'm I'm trying to think of other, even in like adult targeted animation, like how many shows have a character just with a full beard like that? I mean, there's pop. The closest I can, I mean, the closest I can think of in terms of an action cartoon uh, that that we might have seen in North America is Johnny Quest. Because yeah. his father, Doctor Quest, had the beard, but yes. of course his yeah. father wasn't the main character; it was yeah. Johnny. But yeah, it was that was definitely something that that struck me as unusual about Ulysses Thirty One. It's like, oh, okay, so the main character, the hero, is like Dad. We're watching yeah. the Adventures of Dad. <laughs> adventures <laughs> of Dad, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it actually it's, that's it's quite a striking thing about it, and it, and it sets it apart. And as uh, as Etienne mentioned, it's. I mean, I, I think they usually avoid that kind of thing because they think that kids might find that off-putting, and, like, maybe that's true. <laughs> that could very well be true. Uh, Mr. T had his own cartoon, but I think that's kind of a... Uh, maybe kind, yeah, of, doesn't, kind of an exception. doesn't count. <laughs> that's a special case. Mr. Special T case. is a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, like, we did get Mr. T on French Canadian TV, and we didn't get Johnny Quest, and sometimes I wonder what the priorities of these people were. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like, at, at that time, Mr. T was, uh, it was fresh and new, so, uh. Oh, yeah, but the show was so bad. Yeah. I, I think it was more of a pipeline for the filmation stuff. Cause I, I was actually reading the, uh, the, uh, Ulysses is the same voice actor as, uh, Flash Gordon did in the filmation Flash Gordon series, so there may have been oh. a little more, little, little more, um, direct <laughs> access there. I'm not sure. But yeah, anyway, uh, Ulysses 31, well, the, the premise is built right into the opening credits. Uh, Ulysses is captain of the spaceship Odyssey, and he has to save a bunch of enslaved children. In doing so, he destroys a giant metal cyclops, uh, but unbeknownst to him, this defies the will of the ancient Greek gods who are just out there in space now. Um, and they, uh, they froze his crew in suspended animation and forced Ulysses to wander the galaxy, facing multiple trials from cosmic versions of these Greek mythological figures until he's able to find the kingdom of Hades, which will apparently be the key to his escape, uh, from this mm -hmm. endless journey. Uh, and they, they, again, they just explain the whole premise in the theme song. I'll probably just drop that in right here. It is the 31st century. Ulysses killed the giant Cyclops when he rescued the children and his son Telemachus. But the ancient gods of Olympus are angry and threaten a terrible revenge. Mortals, you defy the gods? I sentence you to travel among unknown stars. Until you find the kingdom of Hades, your bodies will stay as lifeless as stone. Ulysses, the way back to Earth has been wiped from my memory. You are alive, my son. <laughs> and you know what? I'll probably just drop the whole theme song in right here as well, because it absolutely slams. Um, <laughs> it's so it's so great.
it's what a lot of people remember about the show. And what's interesting like- is that that theme song is it's the same song in French. In English, it's the same melody, and so it? it's, it's it's very familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard the English version. Oh yeah, well yeah. instead of instead of you know Ulysses, it's just Ulysses. But yeah, it's it's a very kind uh-huh. of progressive rock kind of ELO sort That's of thing. That's usual. Usually, they always they always change the songs in every version. Like Japanese, English, and French yeah. is always different. Yeah, yeah. usually French. it's a different song. And in the Japanese version of Ulysses 31, yeah, they made their own songs. Yeah, yeah, it was different. I was uh, I've seen that one. Yeah, it was it was like it was never meant for the Japanese market. So things were kind of redone uh, when they launched it there twice. Uh, apparently, it had two dubs: one for the OVA version, one for the broadcast version, which was. <laughs> yep. um, a little strange. This was definitely primarily for the French market, and I think because uh-huh. of that, it's one of those titles that kind of skirts the line of whether it qualifies as anime. But, uh, of course, all the animation work for it was done in Japan, uh, and it was done in the, you know, I guess what we call that, the anime production pipeline, rather than the the outsourcing pipeline, which a lot of other stuff is done. Um, so I, I think this is de- de- definitely one that uh, that would qualify under the anime banner from our uh, weird, inexplicable Western definition of the word. Well, I mean, I think I think anime as a term for Japanese animation, it's it's useful for like country of origin, but it's, yeah, but you know, you can... like what tra- what Transformers count as anime since it was mostly at least the first season was mostly animated in Japan, by the way. Yeah, I mean, under that definition, mm-hmm. you could definitely say maybe it was because in, you know, on the uh, U.S. side, it was mostly just the screenplay and the general direction. All all of the storyboarding, all of the animation, was done in Japan. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to pin it down sometimes. I, yeah. I think we all we yeah, all draw the line in a different place, but yeah, we all, and but it's fun to talk about, and yeah. I, I think, uh, but it's it's this is a really cool international co-production, uh, and, and and one of the certainly one of the first ones I saw. What's interesting is Tokyo Movie Shinsha and uh, their their uh, their chairman uh, Yutaka Fujioka. They did a lot of overseas business in the 80s, uh, specifically just because uh, overseas uh, partners paid well. Like yeah, just like they, he recognized really early the importance of either subcontracting with an overseas partner to get good money, uh, which they frequently did for Disney. Like a lot of the Disney yeah. afternoon cartoons had had TMS doing animation for them. Or owning the owning a piece of the action, like they made their own cartoon for the West called Galaxy High in the mid '80s. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, I'm not sure what the driving force behind that was exactly, but they were definitely at the forefront of, uh, you know, making Western productions, working with Western partners, and mm-hmm. just just making an international uh, name for themselves. Um, but uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. Well, you have to understand one of the interesting things about Ulysses 31 that that's fascinated a lot of people over the years is the music. And yeah. in fact, there there are three separate theme songs uh, that, that they uh, that they tried to create: uh, Denny Crockett and Ike Egan. And two of them were were not used for the television show. One of them is straight up disco, and it's uh it's really catchy, oh, yeah. but yeah, but it's got that disco beat. It's like Ulysses. Go into space. Yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah, those those are floating around on YouTube. Yeah, um, and there's a there's a girl. In there's France. like, yeah, yeah. In France, they had two different openings. Like oh, really? The, I didn't uh, know that. In the original, in the original, the original, uh, original error. Uh, how do you call that? Like, um, 
the original run at the show in 1981, yeah. I think. They had like the song we are familiar with. And yeah. when they rebroadcasted it in uh, 83, I would say, uh, they had a totally different song for the show. Like, was it like I, a like, Club Dorothy thing where they, where they did a new theme? Um, might have been. Yeah. So like they wanted they wanted the show to appear a bit new, so they uh okay, changed yeah. the song. But in Quebec we only got the original one. Which is the best right. if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. But it's interesting that they you know, there's a pilot episode, they did all these in- alternate versions of the theme song. There's a lot of interesting production material for this show. I, I think it was like uh something that we hadn't seen before, uh to that scale. Mm-hmm. I mean France was hungry for animation at the time. So mm-hmm. uh, a, a co-production with uh, with Japan was only natural for them. Like I remember, like it, it was like in this post Star Wars uh, early eighties, like uh, oh exactly feel we had that it, like we uh, in in, uh, in the flesh picking world we were exposed to uh, a show that was called uh, Captain F- I think it was Captain uh, Captain Future and yeah Captain Future and Captain Harlock and. I feel like those three shows were like the basis of my like my childhood in the early eighties. Like those three things about space, cool spaceships and space exploration. Yeah, that's. I always, I, when I was a kid, I would always like those shows were always tied together in my in my head. And now as an adult, I watch Ulysses and I I see it's pretty different. And, and that's what I've heard mm-hmm. from people who were watching stuff on. Um, on TV at this time, uh, specifically specifically these shows were like. Um, the 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 big aftermath of Star Wars in 1977 because that, that's what was driving all this all this stuff at that point. That's you know why why put why put Ulysses in space? Obviously because Star Wars had just come out. Of because Star Wars, Wars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and they even gave him a lightsaber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's I think that's that's generally the cultural impression I've I've gotten from people who uh. You know who watched these shows when they were kids? It's like this. The, these were the shows that came after Star Wars, and it all just kind of, um, you know, grew out of that in a really, uh, uh, in a really rich way. And it's that's strange. well remembered. That space of like culture was permeating everywhere by then. Yeah. yeah. So, so Des, was this show on Radio Canada in 1981, or was it a couple? Yeah. Of years ago? Uh, uh, I, did, I did my research and it was in, okay. uh, in 83, so yeah. I was, uh, September 17, uh, 1983, so I was seven years old. Yeah. But I remember all of it. I remember a lot of it. And which is funny because I never rewatched the show after that. Never saw any reruns until like last month when uh, Jesse, uh, <laughs> wow. the podcast was time. on and, and I decided to rewatch everything. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 uh, it's strange seeing, seeing the whole thing again with adult eyes. Excuse me. Yeah, usually, yeah. usually the Fre- and, um, French Canadian broadcasts would be roughly at the same time that they showed up in France. Oh, they uh, always but, had, a, had a, a few years, uh, yeah. difference. There was a, there was a, there was a bit of a Hold delay. On, yes. This was, um, this started in October 3rd, 1981 in France. Um, and I, I, when they were running it there, they actually divided it up into, they did this a lot with shows at that time. They would run, they would break it up into five minute segments. They would run five minutes a day. And then at the oh, end no. of the week, they would run the full, um, you know, 25 minute episode, um, that had been built that, that they had slowly kind of fed out. 
during the week. And I, I don't think they did anything like that on, on Radio Canada or any of the foreign nah. language broadcasters. They would just run the show. But there was a, but a two-year infuriating. delay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. I would have hated that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's just that variety show kind of uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to be creative about packaging stuff for kids' television, but yeah. that sounds odd to me. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so you saw it in 1983. That's interesting. I saw Ulysses 31 on American television in 1986. Hey, yeah, 86. I, I, I yeah, about and it. it was it was part of a package that Deke did uh, with uh, with a partner, a greeting card company called Kiddio TV, and it was it was very funny because the segment would start off. It was three shows, 90 minutes, and you'd hear this announcer say, "It's time for Kiddio TV with Rainbow Bright." Popples and Ulysses 31. It's like one of those is not like the other. That's like the others. Yeah, two two of them are cute, colorful cartoons for little kids, and then there's the space adventure. And and you know, as as a kid who definitely liked uh, Star Blazers and Robotech, like Ulysses 31, like I, I spotted that immediately and and had to watch it. And uh, I saw about half of the episodes uh, when they aired. They only ever ran it once on American television, and I never saw it again until uh, it started coming out on DVD in the early 2000s, and that's when I kind of backtracked and watched the rest of the episodes. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned this before, that if uh, if you weren't there to catch it on TV, you missed it. And unfortunately, oh, yeah, it yeah. seems like you did miss a lot of it. But there was uh, a lot of show like, shows like that, right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah definitely. Like, Blink and you miss Captain it. Yeah. Captain, Captain Harlock was one of the biggest... Like 80s uh, animated shows here in Quebec, and it was virtually unknown in the U.S., right? Yeah, that was an, well, that was another show where not only was it only really aired once, uh, they they kind of stuck it together with the Queen Millennia anime. Yeah, they were with it with something else. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's <laughs> it's hard it's hard to watch. It doesn't make a lot of sense. There's too much narration. The characters have have odd names, and you know, it's like I I, I absolutely love Captain Harlock. It's one of my favorite characters. But like, even as a kid who was crazy for Star Blazers, I had a hard time watching the American version. It wasn't no, they didn't do a good job. Yeah, unless you were lucky to get those UHF uh, broadcasts of the subtitled version. Um, right. Yeah, but that's again, that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. And in the French world, we didn't have we didn't get Star Blazers. Sometimes I wonder why they like translate one series and not the other. Like, yeah. One of the biggest uh, shows at the time was uh, Grandizer, UFO yeah. Robo Grandizer, I'm gonna yeah. die. But we never got uh, the, the two Mazinger shows before before that. So yeah, they, like, for most French people, Mazinger is just like a, a cheap knockoff of Grandizer, and it's not. It's like the original of Goldrick. Yeah, it's the if anything, it's the the weakest of the three of those uh, of those three shows that, in my opinion. But well, uh, you, you could argue about that. I'm a big fan of Grandizer. Yeah. I watched that as a kid too. Yeah. <laughs> I did, but it was never my favorite series. I thought it was too episodic and uh, I don't know, yeah, a bit, a bit too old school for me. <laughs> it, uh, I don't, I, we, yeah, we did an episode on on Goldorak, um, uh, a couple years ago. Our our assessment was that it hadn't aged well, but we could understand why. It had a big, <laughs> we we could understand why it had a big impression uh, when it did air. Uh, and, uh, Etienne also with Captain Harlock or Albator, uh, you, I mean, we were, you were missing the last three episodes of that show. Yeah, that, for, that was so weird. Like I don't know why. 15 I never, years. I, I, I never saw the ending. I didn't even like get back to them as an yeah. adult to, to what it was about. I never saw the damn ending of that show. And I, yeah, that, I think I, watching Ulysses like this made me, made me want to uh, watch uh, other, uh, of classics from my childhood. And I yeah, think they, I would. We watch uh, completely. Yeah, they did go back and redub those last three episodes, like many years later. But yeah, when they released uh, the, the the VHS, set. yeah, they did like a th- like a theatrical release of something. But 
it's a uh, it, it's a step down from the 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 older dub. They do some weird things with the music, and uh, yeah, you can go. We went all into that in our back in our Albator episode, which I uh, of course oh, encourage uh, everyone to watch. Um, I'm gonna to that. Yeah. So um, yeah. Anyway, uh, regarding just uh, Ulysses thirty one in uh, sort of sort of French and Quebec culture. I mean, did you have anything anything else to? How has your perception of the show changed as an adult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the weird thing is, the show was big at the time, but I don't think it uh, it's not very fondly remembered. Like mm-hmm. most people don't talk about about that show at all. I I think like uh, Ulysses thirty one's greatest. Feat was to open the way for its most successful, uh, its more uh, successful successor, uh, the Mysterious Cities of Gold, which is like one of the biggest yeah. shows we have on TV. And it's fun, do you remember? People always talk about it. We have reruns. They made like sequel series in France, and it's still very popular to this day. But you missed 31, not so much. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe it was like too dark or too experimental, and they didn't do many reruns. In fact, I thought it only ran, I, I thought it only ran once, but then I remember that I used to watch episodes on uh, Saturday mornings, and then I remember also watching them after school, so I'm not sure if they had like, two different air, air, uh, it, air slots so from what I during can, the week. From what I've uh, been able to gather together, and I can, I can double-check this, um, it started airing on Radio Canada in 1983. They ran it until 1985, so it probably had... Um, a few different runs, okay. um, but uh, but I don't think it was really rerun much after that. Nah, uh, not, after, not after that. Yeah, not that I know of. Yeah, so kind of like kind of disappeared. And then watching it again as a as an adult, I kind of guess I kind of understand why it, it's it was, it's not as great as I remember it was as a kid. Like you mentioned, Mysterious Cities of Gold, uh, it had much um, it reran much more for years after that as well. So I can. I can see how that that show had a stronger impression because there was more yeah, opportunities to watch it too. It was also much better. It was much better. Uh, the story was was more solid. It was better told. Uh, it, it still uh, it still holds up today quite well. I watched it with my girlfriend who had never seen it like a few years ago when she was fucking into it. Yeah, can I say that? <laughs> can I swear? <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, you can say, what it, say say whatever you want as long as it's not some kind of hey. alt right slogan. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was really surprised to see her like get into it so much, and then once she saw me watching Ulysses, she wanted to to see what it was about, and she kind of got bored after one episode. <laughs> the one thing that illustrates some of the problems with the Ulysses Thirty One is how you know that they, they have the entire crew in suspended animation, and multiple times throughout the show, the crew is somehow brought back, but then they yeah, yeah, go yeah. back into re- a suspended animation at the end just to reset mm-hmm. the premise so that they don't have to carry those plot elements over yeah, in yeah. future episodes. And they do that like three or four times. It's kind of frustrating. Yeah. You can you can tell that the screenwriters were trying to make it so you could you could run the episodes out of order and yeah. it wouldn't be too distracting, you know. The show is one hundred percent episodic. You can yeah. you could watch the episode of in any order and you wouldn't miss a thing. This is what I feel didn't. Yeah, even even episode even episode twenty six, the conclusion. It's like you know they they were they had hoped to make more afterwards, but like it they, they the ending feels like it wraps up so quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like so rushed. Yeah, it's, it's, this is weird because I remember I thought I remember it like them going back to Earth and and meeting his wife and 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 the trip back and like bringing the kid the alien kids back to the planet and no so. 
Why did I think that? Well, he went. I, he he yeah. does go back to Earth, but in, in, the past, uh, in like in the past, in the in the in he he meets the the ori- the original Ulysses, no, Ulysses. which is an episode I hadn't seen when I was a kid. This was was no. I remember I remember missing this one and being upset about it because like <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I saw like was, five minutes of it on TV. We had to go somewhere. Yeah. Yep, and yep. and I was finally begin, I was finally able to see it for the first time. It was Forty a, years later, it's a memorable episode that raises a number of questions. It's it's one of the best, it's one of the better ones actually. Yeah. There, yeah, there's a few good ones among them. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Few, very strong episodes uh, in the series. It's not, sure. it's not all bad. It's not bad. It's just not that great, and it didn't it didn't age well. Yeah, it's, it's and it's an odd it's an odd mixture too. It's like part it's part Star Wars and part like the very creepy take on Greek mythology where like it seems like death in the underworld is always very near. Yeah, it yeah. was very creepy for a kid. That yeah. show used to terrorize me. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. I, I, I would watch it and I was always like super scared. And I I even some episodes I didn't remember anything at all. And I was like, oh yeah, there's something very scary that's gonna happen here. And yeah. and, and it happened. And I was like this is weird how like human memory works. I remember all of the parts that Scared me as a kid. You, you remember the at, it's like rich atmosphere. Like that's what leaves the impression oh, yeah. on you. Like yeah, you have like, like, the, like just the intimate that intimidating specter of Zeus that just shows up. It's it's a a weird way to depict him, but I mean you never forget that. And his voice was so cool in French too. Yeah. It's not so great in English. No, uh, I think it's pretty cool. You don't you don't like the uh, the dulcet tones of Lastavrana? I, I do I, I do like it, but the 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 French voice is quite a contrast from the English voice. I'm sure. From what I'm I've sure. seen. Uh, with the French voice is cool because it's like kind of like it's 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 deep, but it's kind of like smooth at the same time, but menacing. It's all all of that together, and it's so strange. Does it sound like evil? It just sounds like I don't know, like some annoyed dad that. Uh, that you don't want to get on on this bad side. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. And, and it's funny because that guy also voiced, uh, like, uh, I don't know if you guys had, uh, at the end of the Mysterious Cities of Gold, there was, uh, in French, we had, uh, like, a five-minute segment at the end, like, some kind of uh, documentary about yeah. South American culture. Mm-hmm. And he was the narrator to that. So it's always weird to, like, as an adult, listen to the show and, and, I, and I'm always like every episode of uh, of the Cities of Gold would end the same way with the guy saying au revoir à bientôt, and I was I was I was expecting Zeus to say that because the voice was so <laughs> similar. <laughs> he was not trying to sound evil. He would just like use his real voice, and it was cool. Yeah, cool. I, I had one more question just about um, the show in in Quebec. Uh, or in just, just in French Canada, uh, was there merchandise for it? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I remember that when I was uh, back then, I was uh, I wanted to have merch. Like I really loved No No, and I wanted to have my own and Let It All Robot. Yeah. But we didn't have anything, and then it started to to happen. Like we had uh, like a, a Panini sticker books and uh, some like not like big official toys or anything, but like cheap stuff like. Uh, a candy packager shaped like Ulysses' character or like a plastic no-no uh, toy that you could open and they had like chewing gum inside and I mean, stuff that's, like that. That's that's how you know the cultural penetration of something is like how 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 easy was it to find merch and like yeah. did it wind up in bargain bins or did it actually sell? I think it I, it, it I, seemed to have a pretty strong presence there. Yeah, it probably, it probably sold yeah. because it was not like 
we didn't have any like any official toys that sell that Toys R Us or anything, but like cheap cheap trinkets that mm-hmm. we could find. And I remember like being pretty excited about it. Yeah. Like I, I wanted to collect all of those things. Oh, and the funny thing, I used to watch the show. Uh, we had a black and white TV at the time. My parents mm-hmm. were pretty kind of poor, so I had no idea that the little girl was blue until I got like that sticker album. Oh yeah. And I saw her on the top, and I was I was like, what? She's blue? That's so weird. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know at all. Yeah, I thought TV was such a big, yeah. had such a big impact on. That was a just one little note about just the cast. That character Themis, um, they they don't like she has a she's named after a, a figure of Greek mythology in the French version, but not the English version. She's just Yumi, oh, the English Yumi. dub. Uh, that, that, that was, that was uh, a Japanese name, I saw, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a weird. I thought that was a, a weird choice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, instead instead of Temis and uh, and Numayu, it's it's uh, Yumi and uh, Numenor. Numenor. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're gonna expect uh, to have some name changes. Some changes, yeah. yeah. Right. So you mentioned Nono, uh, who? So no, Nono, of course, is uh, the little toy robot that Ulysses gives to Telemachus for his birthday in the first episode, and he, he's a character that people seem to complain about a lot on, um, at least on the internet. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought he was, I thought he was a, a good addition to the show. He actually doesn't stick out like a sore thumb, like these, uh, you know, more cartoony comic relief characters might, characters. Mu- yeah, might in, in other shows. He, he feels like he fits in with, um, mm-hmm. with his surroundings, which I think that's, that's pretty notable, but he, he, he didn't seem like he was a pretty popular character. I think they released like some, some album tracks that were specifically about him. There was a lot of merch. <laughs> Yeah, I, li- I listened to that album in yeah. French. We had like a like a record of a, a bunch of Ulysses song, and they had a bunch of characters, specific song that didn't exist in the show. And the Nono one was my favorite. <laughs> he was my favorite character when I was a kid. I really loved him. Yeah, and, and now as an adult, I'm watching the show, and he kind of gets on my nerves. But he's not that bad yeah, because he I, does stuff. He helps. Yeah, yeah. And as I was mentioning, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, they they go they do some weird perverted jokes with him uh, later on in the series. He's always like reaching into his little crotch bucket and pulling out screws and nails. <laughs> And they, they 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 give him very sexual expressions on his face when he does that too, which I uh, I I made sure to screen cap a couple of those. I was uh, I thought I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I was I was too much of a naive kid to notice all any of that. Oh well, that's well, that's the point. Uh, yeah, I never yeah. never noticed that myself. It was just you, Jesse. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, I got I, I got to bring some something unique to this. Anyway, I think uh, we should probably cover. The production history for Ulysses 31 Absolutely. a little bit. It's really uh, interesting. So the story uh, of Ulysses 31, of course, starts with Homer, uh, the author of the Odyssey. Who I should point out on um, Anime News Network, he is listed as original creator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in all capital letters. Unfortunately, he's not listed that way in the actual credits for the show. But I thought, I thought it was kind of amusing that someone added that in. Um, but of course, if we're, if we're talking about the cartoon specifically, the story starts with Jean Chalopin, uh, who was a front, young French writer with, uh, some pretty big creative ambitions. Um, he, so, uh, Mike, you might have to, uh, to jump in and correct me on some things because uh, you probably know more about this, but he did, st- he started his own marketing company in 1968 when he was only 18. Um, the company was called OGAP wow. and it, uh, so apparently it specialized in just doing advertising leaflets 
for uh for local organizations and he had got some money from um a french daily called the new republic very interesting beginnings for a company that would become like this dominating force in children's television all throughout the 1980s and a lot of the 90s Um, i I don't know that much about john cholopan what what i what i can tell you about him is that uh it was my understanding that the reason ulysses looks the way he does with the long hair and the the beard is because that's what john cholopan looked like (laughs) yeah yeah in 1980 he might have been pretty impressive to japanese people (laughs) yeah i didn't uh I, I didn't clue in on that, but you're right. He did. He does kind of look like uh, like Jean Gelapon from that period. But yeah. A- anyway, from this small advertising company, they got uh, it, it quickly became a production division of, of RTL, uh, Radio Television Luxembourg, and then from there they grew into Deke Audiovisual, and Deke stands for Diffusion Information Communications. Uh, if uh, you if you weren't aware. Um, that was in 1971 when that change happened. Uh, Shalapan brought his, uh, his old friend animator, uh, Bernard Deris, uh, on board around that time. They started making, uh, producing animated shorts. Um, and this also led to them making two short programs for television. I don't know if either of you know much about them. There was Crow and Bronto and Archibald the Magic Dog. Um, don't remember those at all. Yeah. Our, <laughs> Archibald the Magic Dog was seemed kind of uh kind of weird. It's about this magician who turns himself into a dog, but he can't figure out how to turn himself back. So he just winds up giving these like educational lessons to this kid. It's a very weird concept. Uh, I'm kind of I should look into that a little more. Um, but they're they're fairly obscure shows, and I don't think they uh really have shown up much since their original broadcasts in France. I don't know. I don't think they even showed up in French Canada at all. I don't remember any of that, so I guess not. Maybe, but no, it doesn't seem to be the case at all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, the uh, Deke's ambition started uh, shifting more towards television animation in the late seventies, and that's and I, um, I'm I'm going off of some French translated stuff here, so I'm not sure if this is exactly how it played out, but they opened themselves up to doing subcontracting with Japanese animation studios. I I read that they actually opened a branch for Deke in Japan. Um, but obviously they would have had to have some kind of physical presence there to get things moving. I don't know if they had an actual branch there or if they were just still operating out of France and, and traveling back and forth. I'd, I'd believe that they had yeah. a branch there just because in co-productions like that, like I've heard anecdotes from Japanese animators mm-hmm. about how French staff would be there at yeah. the studio with them. Working, yeah. uh, working on materials. Yeah, and I mean, there were, French animators already had a presence there. There had already been um, co-productions like Ohm the White Dolphin, uh, which that oh, was I, re- back in I remember that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the guy who directed um, Ohm the White Dolphin, Rene Borg, he was he did the pilot for Ulysses 31, where I don't know it, that pilot is floating around um, online because uh, it was never really finished and it looks a lot different from the final show and he's uh Ulysses is even he his hair and beard are even bigger in that version and uh Rene Borg was apparently working in Japan and he actually direct like directed the animation for that original pilot uh is that correct Mike do you do you happen to know um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that about the pilot myself. Yeah. Uh, what, what I know about the pilot is that's when they brought on uh, the character designers, uh, Shingo Arake and yeah. Michihimeno, who, yeah. you know, who of course are very famous for works like, like Saint Seiya. And I always thought that like the pilot, you know, the, the, 
Yeah, the the adults looked a little bit more Western. The kids looked very anime to me. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's it's essentially the first episode, um, but the mm-hmm. you know pacing's a little more like a, a rough pilot. You'd expect from a rough pilot, and uh, I think I think the version floating around actually takes English dialogue from the actual first episode and kind of awkwardly inserts it in. Uh, there might be a yeah. better version around. I'm I'm not too sure. Yeah, it was only as to my understanding that pilot was only ever released as like an extra on a VHS release in Japan. Yeah, yeah. kind yeah. kind of similar to what happened with um, Loop on the Eighth, uh, which was another yeah. project that oh. had that yeah, and that. Deke yeah. were uh, was was supposed to come out of this collaboration that they had because well, well, when Deke set up their operation in France, the first studio they worked with was Tokyo Movie Shinsha, and it would make sense that. TMS would want to bring Lupin, of all their titles, um, to more of a global audience because it had already been such a big hit in Italy and, and a couple of other countries in, in Europe. And um, that was definitely an interesting-looking project they had going with, with Lupin the Eighth. But unfortunately, it, it can fell you, apart. Can you, guys believe, mm-hmm. can you guys believe they wanted to set Lupin in space? Oh, sure. Again, I believe like, it. Another space show? Why? Because <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. Because everything had to be yeah, in space. Yeah, but... Lupin of all things that made no sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean the uh, J9 had already the J9 series that was already a thing at that point, wasn't it? Which is those? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first uh, Br- Briger, I think that was yeah, eighty one yeah. or eighty two. So yeah. So I mean, there had already been similar things done with Ulysses thirty one. Basically, the way uh, the arrangement worked was that most of the French animators, um, pr- primarily uh, uh, Bernard. Uh, Bernard Ayres and uh, other people at Deke would develop the concept art and uh, do the writing for the show, whereas pretty much all the animation was done by TMS from the ground up. Um, the concept, the original concept for Ulysses 31 uh, came from Jean Chalopin himself, uh, as well as Nina Walmark. Uh, so Nina Walmark, she d- didn't really primarily work very much in television Um uh, television writing. I think she was usually more focused on academic stuff uh, a lot of the time, but I, I think she was more the creative uh, force behind kind of this show and this whole whole take on Ulysses. Um, notably, she would go on to do uh, Spartacus and the Sun beneath. This. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna bring that, which yeah. is very Ulysses-like. Yeah. So that that yeah. was another. I, I don't think that one was a was that one a co-production between France uh, and was, or was it just a France? It, it was only French. It was all French, yeah, all France, all French animated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it yeah but they it, have like that segment with the the pangolins dancing that they play constantly. Yeah, yeah, I I used to love that show when I was a kid. Like I really did, and I I tried to rewatch some of it, and it looks like like crap. It's it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea. Sorry, I didn't say the full title. Uh, the yeah. What's the the it has a more interesting title in French though. Uh, uh, it was the Les Mondes Engloutis, uh, like the, the 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 underground world or something like the, that. The engulfed yeah. world is how engulfed I, world. Yeah, is how yeah. I see it translated. That's, That's interesting. Like, yeah, uh, it's a it's a neat show. Uh, my understanding is it's it's well written, but the visuals are are kind of a, a little weaker, and it it really relies on. Um, uh, reused animation and yeah, reused, reused segments a lot, um, but I, I think I was on Nickelodeon in the the states as well. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it, it, it uh, existed in the English world at all. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, English speaking world. Not, not in English both. Canada, 
but it uh, yeah. Yeah. it did air in the US. US. Yeah. Yeah, both both Spartacus <laughs> and Mysterious Cities of Gold are very well remembered in the US because they both ran on Nickelodeon right when Nickelodeon was getting popular oh. in the mid 80s. Oh, I didn't even know Nickelodeon existed back then. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Started in the early 80s, and uh, I think it was 85 or 86 when those shows were on it. And uh, that's when I was a kid, and I sure watched Whoa. them. Yeah. I've uh, I've debated whether I want to do – I would like to do an episode on Mysterious Cities of Gold, but I find it a little awkward to approach because it it aired in, on television in French Canada and the United States, but not English Canada. But not English. Like, how do, well, how hey, do I approach that? That's, that's a little weird. <laughs> how, how can we express this in Japanese? Possibly Zanen Canada. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to like uh, to segue about uh, to talk about like the pilot. Have you guys seen it? Uh, the Ulysses uh, Thirty One. Yeah. Are you yeah. supposed? To? Yeah, it's it's on. You can find it on YouTube. And like Jesse said, there's a version that like awkwardly synch- synchronizes the English dub of the first episode to footage from the pilot because they are very similar. I watched it like two days ago for the first yeah. time, and it, I was amazed how much more Jap- uh, anime everything looks. Yeah. 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 And also the like the the, me- the mechanical designs are really simplified. Like the like oh, the yeah. main ship, the main it's ship just, is is like is, is a, a lot more basic looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting with the design of the Odyssey. Uh, it was actually it, it looked different, much different in the pilot compared to the final show. The final version is inspired by uh, the logo of the French broadcaster FR3. Uh, mm-hmm. if, and if you look at their so logo from that time, it actually does look exactly like the ship. Um, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've always thought it was one of the coolest spaceships. It's a really neat design. And, uh, I mean, both exterior and interior. I especially love the way that it utilizes early CGI. Um, it, it looks, I think mm-hmm. it looks pretty, imp- the CGI looks pretty impressive. They're, they're pretty smart about, um, you know wh- where to draw the limits of what they do in the CGI, how it appears mm-hmm. in the screens, and how it's in- it's well integrated, which I thought was um, really yeah, really amazing to see for a show from 1981. That's courtesy of Computer Image of Denver, Colorado. Yeah. All of the the makeup designs in the sh- in the show were, were made by uh, the Macross guy, right? What's his yeah, name? Shoji Kawamori. Yeah, yeah, it was it was yeah, made by it shows. Yeah, it was it was Studio Nue, which at the time in eighty and eighty one that would have been Kazutake Miyatake, uh, Kazutaka Miyatake and his protege uh, Kawamori. So like those two would have done all of the mecha designs, and also like the one of their main artists was Naoki Kato, who, did, who he did like illustrations for science fiction novels. So you could definitely see that kind of touch apparent in the in the artwork for the for the mecha too. Like every time there is a close up on the ship, like. Even today, I'm I'm amazed at all of the details. Yeah, it's very the impressive. Yeah, it so catches great. the eye. Yeah, and you you it's like he was doing that on anime cells, like hand painting that damn thing, and all of the details. And I mean, as an artist, I'm very mind blown about that guy's skills. Mm-hmm. Those guys' skills. He was not the one painting the cells, I guess. But yeah, there's a lot a lot of hands in this. Um. Uh, initially, the director for the series was Tadao Nagahama, who uh, was the uh, the the guy behind the ro- Robot Romance trilogy with uh, Combat V and Voltes V and and Daimos. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, he died. Sh- apparently, uh, from what I've read, apparently shortly after the completion of the first episode of Ulysses yeah. Thirty One. He was on he was on vacation and he caught a disease. I yeah. want to say it was like, was it tuberculosis it was hepatitis. or hepatitis. Hepatitis. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah, very, really huge, tragic. huge was, tragedy. That that guy was a giant talent, and you can you can definitely see like that first episode. There's a kineticism to it, like a, you know the the way it looks and the way it moves. It's definitely different as the show progresses. It would have been. It's interesting to think about how the show might have changed a little if he had stuck around. Yeah. Uh, so from from what I could tell, after the, um, afterwards, the direction duties were split between uh, Kazuo Terada and Kiyosuke Mikuria. Who uh, we talked about back in the Sherlock Hound episode. Yeah, that's right, the... Mr. Sherlock Hound. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. Yeah. And Lupin sure the Third Part Two. <laughs> yep. Yeah. My you. Um. So and, and of course, as I as I mentioned, Bernard De Reese was he's also credited as a director, uh, but I I don't think he would have actually directed any episodes. He was likely uh, just working was... more on the conceptual side. Well, he's the supervising director. Yeah, supervising you know, he's, director. He's he's yeah. the guy that is making sure all the episodes are getting done on schedule and look good. Uh, one thing we should loop back to is the music. Uh, the, oh, course, the, the, the music was different mm-hmm. in the French and Japanese versions, but the, the French version is what we want to focus on. And the music is amazing. It, it, <laughs> yep. It's and, like one of the best things on the show. Yeah. And it is, of course, uh, courtesy of our uh, of our good friend Hayam Saban and uh, Shuki Levy, um, who, if you go back, I, we... I kind of got into um, a little bit of their background back in the Goldorak episode because, of course, um, Haim Saban was the producer of Gnome, who did the theme song for Goldorak back in 19 or when, when the show premiered uh, in the late 70s. And that mm. theme song was a massive financial hit. And it sort of um, sort of gave Saban that idea that, oh, hey, you can make a lot of money by yep. producing music for children's cartoons. And specifically, <laughs> you can make a lot of money off of the royalties. Um, yep. And that's sort of... I think there were, he had worked on a couple things between Goldorak and Ulysses 31, but he basically had a deal with Deke where they would... where he, Shucky Levy, and uh, Pascal Oriant was the the other person who did music. And given how uh, Haim Saban and Shucky Levy work, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if, if he did most of the actual... Uh, work with composing the series, but you know they had a deal with Deke where they would provide music for their shows at an incredibly low rate, uh, so long as they received a certain percentage of royalty, and uh, this would prove to be a very, uh, very lucrative deal for him, and would, you know, go on to the other stuff he would do later in the 80s and 90s, and, and overtake mm-hmm. Deke's. Um, future role as the dominators of uh of western children's television production but um anyway yeah, that's he became the power Rangers guy right yeah exactly yep yep um, and 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 you know so you know he found he discovered super sentai because he was doing so much work on these japanese co-productions and was in uh-huh. japan a lot of the time at that at that point so it's uh the stuff all started with uh you know with anime and the and these kind of french co-productions so it's it's kind of kind of neat to see that um the seeds being planted at this early point, but this is sort of where he was just getting his fingers in things and um, and and producing a lot of a uh, a lot of catchy, memorable music. And, uh, and as, as as far as merchandise of the show too, like the soundtracks remain like the only things that you can reliably find. Oh yeah, in print. Yeah, the soundtracks were huge for this show, and uh, like we mentioned, there was a, an entire soundtrack just with with about No No. Uh, and mm-hmm. there, I mean, there were a couple others with the other music for the show as well. Because again, that uh, that Goldorak theme cast a long shadow, and they knew they could make a lot of money off of doing that. And yeah, the music was at the forefront of of the merchandise. Which one was it? Was it like the 
No? There was a bunch of theme songs. There were a couple, yeah. They, for, for Goldorak, there was the original theme song that ran yeah, later on. Played in, played in this, like in the second series or second yeah, season or something. For, for, set, for the later broadcasts and like the home video release and everything, they would use a song that was um, an just a closer adaptation of the Japanese original theme. Uh-huh. I actually, I've looked around, I can't actually, I, you can find the song for Goldorak everywhere. But I can't mm-hmm. actually find the credit sequence that used that song. Um, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't seem to dig that one out because every uh, any version of the sh- of the French version of Goldrack you can find now it has the uh, the second theme song, which is just an adaptation of the Japanese one. Uh, all of those songs are pretty much well remembered here. It's yeah. Funny. Yeah, it was a, it was a big deal. Just to touch on how the show came out in Japan, it was actually originally sold in. Uh, OVA format in 1986. Mm-hmm. At the very popular. Yeah, and that was the Sorry. same time that it ran in English in uh, the the US in in 86, right? Uh, right, Mike. Yeah, yeah. That so was 86. That was kind of when they were releasing it in other regions at that point, um, and uh, and then they, it was sold just as an OVA, and then there was a broadcast in 1988. Uh, and then again in 1991, and both of those broadcasts had different dubs. They redubbed it with a different cast in the 1991 version. But I don't, I don't think either broadcast actually ran the whole thing. It was definitely uh, they, they didn't quite seem to quite know what to do with this show in Japan because again, it was, it was for the French audience. Yeah, it uh, definitely didn't have the Japanese feel. It, it, it did for the like the the space the design, the, the the ships and everything, but not the characters. Well, I guess the me- the main characters don't look to anime, but the background characters kind of do. A lot of people, like, you see there's one episode with pirates, and they all look like people from, like, First of the North Star. And and you're like, probably that the French didn't give any designs for those guys, and the Japanese just designed, like, the the typical ladies anime bad guys for for them, I feel. But And it's funny, because the, the characters look more Japanese, more anime, like, traditional anime style in the pilot, but, uh, Yumi, Timis, whatever her name is, didn't change that much in the two versions. Yeah. Her design remained yeah. pretty much consistent. And she yeah. is a bit more anime than the other guys. Yeah. Maybe because, like, she's alien, she can get away with it. Regarding the cast for the show, uh, I didn't have too much, I didn't uh, actually research this too much. I know that Ulysses, his voice actor, was uh, Cla- the late the late Claude Giraud, who uh, he died mm-hmm. last year. Uh, and I understand he's better he's better known as a film and stage actor. Um, in in the francophone world, but he has done a, f- a little bit of voice acting. I'm not too familiar with him. Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, he you know he's he's had a few roles. He was Flash Gordon uh-huh. in the filmation Flash Gordon series and movie uh, that were um, also out in uh, in French. Uh, but he hasn't really done that much else. Um, I, I have the so as with a lot of French France produced dubs, um, the voice has actually changed. Uh, with the character yeah. quite a bit. Uh, and, I, I noticed that, like, somewhere around episode 16, a lot of voices changed for no reason. Yeah. So strange. I, I found that strange. I, I thought that only happened with, like, French dubs of things that were originally in different languages, but no, even a uh, so, something that is originally in French, they'll still just randomly swap the voice actors out um, on Maybe some Maybe the actors 
where we're indelible or something. I think that seems to be it. There seems to be a, a chunk of episodes where where uh like Shirka and and Telemachus had Shirka, Shirka's the computer on the on the Odyssey. I don't I don't think we mentioned that before. Um, but it's funny because Telemachus uh, in the first episodes is uh, voiced by an actual an actual male kid, and uh, when it's, his voice just change his voice changes. It becomes the the same girl who did Esteban in the yeah. series of Golden. Exactly. So strange. He had, yeah, hearing, Telemachus had hearing two, her speak. In most of the episodes, Telemachus in French is has an actual child actor, um, but uh, he has a, a, a adult woman doing his voice in in about six six other episodes. Uh, depends which one you land on when you're when you're watching it, because I I think most people didn't probably didn't watch the show in order, um, but. Uh, but yeah, so most don't of them, have to. Yeah, exactly. Apart from, <laughs> apart from Ulysses, they're mostly uh, you know voices that you'll find in in a lot of other cartoons. Um, Mike, did you have uh, was there anything notable in the in the English cast for the well, the English dub? Well, I mean, as I'm sure you probably noticed when you were reviewing the production information, Ulysses 31 was dubbed in English in Montreal oh. uh, at at Multidub International. And, uh, I, didn't it's, know, it's, I didn't notice that actually. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you, you can kind of hear it in the voices too. I yeah, think. now it's, that you mentioned uh, it, yeah, that makes they, sense. they all have uh, you know Quebecer accents. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's it was Montreal-based Anglophone actors. Uh, guy, I'm not too familiar with the performers. A few of them, uh, like uh, like uh, like like uh, Vrana and uh, Howard R- uh, Rishpin, uh, they're pretty well known, uh, pretty well known Canadian TV and film actors. Uh, the guy who plays Ulysses is a is a gent named Matt Berman. I, I'm not really familiar with uh, with his work, but it's the same folks who dubbed uh, Mysterious Cities of Gold in English too. Oh right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So that so so that uh, you know that that Canada connection is alive and well in the English dubbed version. Wow, I totally missed this very important mm. detail with <laughs> all the reasons. <laughs> well, that good I did, good thing you had me on. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, yeah. Again, yes, the the. And yet the English version never aired uh, in Canada or was never really made uh, available in any way here. Uh, in English-speaking yeah. Canada. That's so strange. You'd think yeah. it would be a really obvious choice you know, being dubbed in Canada, but yep. I guess not. Yeah. We, I think we've already uh, given a lot of thoughts on the show in general. Um, I'm just curious, do you guys have any uh, specific episodes that you think stand out? Uh, yep. Definitely. Yeah, for for me, it's it's episode one, which was the hook that brought me right in, uh, because it it has a lot of action going on, and it it really felt like something different. And just the finale, uh, you know, Orpheus and Eurydice in the underworld. That was uh, the wonderfully creepy story. Oh yeah. It, it wraps up a little too fast at the end, but I thought it was uh, it was really cool when they when they have to go down to the underworld and all the frozen people in that horrible moment where it's just like. Don't touch the dead people or yeah. you'll die too. Oh man, those those dead people terrorize me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I have like pretty fun, pretty vivid memories of the, the last episode. It was one of the rare uh, instances in my life when I would watch the last episode of the, of the show, you know, because yeah. as a kid you just watch whatever is on TV and you don't really care. And then and now I felt like, oh, okay, this is the end of something. He's gonna get out. Oh my god! And then it ended like so quickly. I was disappointed. Yeah, it's a great episode. It looks great. It's it's creepy. It's haunting, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't know what happens to uh, Orpheus at all. Like he just vanishes into the darkness. Yeah, he just he, yeah he ascends <laughs> up these stairs into the darkness, and you just never see him again. 
And, and it, yeah, the show is very clear about that's where everyone else is going to go. Like, it's so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> As a little kid to see those images. Yeah. It, you you mm-hmm. remember that stuff. But, uh, yeah, USS and even like, uh, Harlock and uh, Captain Future all had, had creepy elements to them. Like, that, that yeah. I still remember to this day. And, uh, I, I still don't do like cartoons like, like anime or cartoons like this for kids anymore that have yeah. the potential to scar you for life. But at the same time, those are the show I remember the most fondly because like they, 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 they would, uh, I don't know how to explain that. Like they left a strong impression because they created a, an, an emotional response, right? What? Is it, that's uh, the chat. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract you, but that, that was that was another that was another memory of, of Ulysses 31. I pasted into into the chat for for you know the podcast listeners won't see it, but when this ran on Kidio TV, they had their own custom animated introduction, <laughs> and for a moment you see like Ulysses himself hanging out with Rainbow Bright and the Popples. <laughs> he just uh, looks no, so no, out no. of place. That's that's so weird. <laughs> even the, like, even though the yeah. Rainbow Bright cartoon, that was another uh, production with TMS, and uh, that was directed by Osamu Dezaki, who's one of my favorite directors. Mm-hmm. But Ooh, yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, but but I yeah, mean, that was that was my first weird. image of, of Ulysses was uh, was seeing that, but then also seeing, <laughs> seeing a clip from the show, and I think it was a clip from the opening when they're when they're combining the uh, the Odysseus, the you know their 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 spaceship together. That like that sold me on the show. That was just like this is something different. This is obviously way more interesting than the other shows in the block. I have to watch it. And uh, so caught a, caught about half the episodes. So yeah, the first one and the last one were definitely the highlights. Uh, I think that the Black Magician was awesome. Yeah, was I, it- I remember the Sisyphus episode just because I've always you know. Oh yeah. Story. Yeah, the, the Sisyphus that one is episode amazing is- as well. Yeah, I think that's that's probably my favorite episode. The the Sisyphus one. They and I I, I just love the way it ends. With the god, with Zeus saying, uh, telling Sisyphus that you should have just helped him. Yep. yep. And it was like, yep. wow, mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, it's like instead of a monster of the week show, it was you know a Greek pantheon god of the week. Yeah, and they're yeah. and like the way they futurize them, it's it's usually really well, you know, kind of nuanced and thought out. They don't. It's never very the, the way they reimagine uh, gods is ne- it never seems overly hokey. It's like they really they really put a lot of thought into it. The uh, one with Atlas uh, I thought really stood out as well, where Mercurius is What's trying cool? to steal the gem uh, from his head, and the whole the whole way that Atlas winds up carrying the universe on his shoulders in the end. The the, the way it plays out visually I thought was it was really trippy and uh, and inspired. It does raise the question though if um you know if if apparently they're living in a world where these Greek mythology was all true, and it all really happened uh, in mm-hmm. the past. But just like, what was Atlas doing back then when he was supposed to be carrying the the the, the world on his shoulders? It's um, again raises a lot of questions, but you shouldn't think about it too much. Yeah, I, the, the two most the, the two episodes I remember the most from my childhood were um, the 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 labyrinth one with the, the Minotaur. Yeah, yeah. Which where, where, where it's like, oh, but, the Minotaur had the, uh, uh, he had the map to get back to, or to, or to yeah. get to Hades. But if only I had stopped and talked to him and asked for that information instead of killing him. It was like, oh, that's a weird twist to throw. <laughs> yep. This episode is weird because yeah. it starts out, it, it starts out strange. Like you have Ulysses, uh, like casually chilling with that guy. Yeah, it, about, just, it like, starts, like, yeah, it just starts in, 
in the middle of uh, of, of something else going on, which is and the he's like, on the ship. And you're like, oh, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a dense episode. You can tell. They're just. He's like Ulysses, my old friend, and I'm like, what? He's like your friend. You're lost in you're lost in the parallel universe. You don't know anybody here. Yeah. You can't be friend with that guy. That doesn't work. It doesn't I, add up at all. Yeah. It it doesn't. And, and and in Ulysses' defense, there is um there is no reason for him to think that the Minotaur would have the information he needed. Um, nah. So I think I, I think I can let him off the hook for that one. And the other episode I remember the most was the one with the the city of robots in space. That yeah. one like wrecked me as a boy, as a little boy. I, I I always I saw it two times and I cried at the end when the little robot girl uh, yeah the, the, herself. the the girl no no. <laughs> and even as an adult when I rewatched it I got like misty eyed at the end. I was like mm. what man this is like awakening like a uh, an old uh, an old feeling that's been yeah. brewing inside of me for forty years. It, uh, and, 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 then there's the Sphinx episode with the with all the cat people. There's mm-hmm. lots of so many interesting things happening with this show. Yeah, that one is great as well. Yeah, I love I love how the Sphinx is not a bad guy. He's like mm-hmm. just being mythological and trying to be fair, but weird at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's that, a bunch of good episodes. Yeah, there's just so so much um like just so much out there. So much, so much rich concept work that went into the show, and I think we only we only really see a fraction of it in the final product. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if they've released any art books or anything um, for Ulysses Thirty One, but I'd be really interested in seeing that because I think, um, I think I think the final product we got it was like incredible that they were able to realize it as well as they did because I I don't think it they they even came close to capturing everything that kind of went into the uh, the concept for the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but what I was going to say about the production design, I think you hit on something important, Jesse. What's part of what sold me for Ulysses 31 was the fact that, like, it was so rich and well designed, it always suggested a larger world, and like, the, mm. the, those are my favorite kinds of stories. The kinds of stories that, like, what you see on screen is compelling, but all. Also, the suggestion that there's all sorts of other interesting things happening that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I feel like like the episodes are oddly they're oddly paced. Like there's a lot of uh, long panning through space and a lot of like cockpit discussions. Yeah, the, the pace then, is really slow. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the main the main story hook happens and it's resolved in five minutes. And yeah. it's, it's strange. For a lot of episodes follow this uh, these tropes, and I yeah. feel it's uh, another reason it didn't age that well. Yeah. And it was originally supposed to be 52 episodes, and I, I do wonder if they had gotten the full production slate they wanted, uh, if the concept would have run thin by the end. Uh, but I, I think I'm, I think what we got, uh, worked out pretty well in that regard. I think we got just, just enough of a, a satisfying taste of, uh, of, of what they were cooking up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, to wrap up, um, I mean, what do you guys think? Uh, we we touched on this a little bit already, but what do you guys think of the show's legacy? Uh, do, do, do you think it's is this really something that's just forgotten, or do you think this could well, uh, I mean, ma- make a comeback if it you know shows up on the right uh, the right kind of streaming service or? 
Oh, I think it's overdue for a Blu-ray remaster. Yeah. I think it would look incredible in high definition. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know what the holdup there is. You can't even get this show easily on DVD in France. Like, all the stuff is out of print. Uh, yeah. Would there be an audience for it? Like I said, it did not age that well. I feel like people, the, the new new viewers wouldn't be interested well, in it. I don't think it has a particularly vocal fandom, but I think it's well-remembered by the people who saw it. Uh, on yeah. TV at that time, even though it's like exclusively Gen Xers, but those are people who will buy yeah. Blu-rays. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it was a very narrow, a very, maybe now a time frame. Yeah, very narrow group of people actually saw it and enjoyed it. Because yeah, it's definitely a show that I'll mention to people who were fans at the same time I was as a kid, and they don't just don't remember it at all. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's I, people don't. Yeah, I don't think it's stuck in any kind of you know complicated legal situation either. It's you know, it's always been part of the Deke Library, which is now owned yeah. by Wild Brain slash DHX or whatever whatever we're calling them now. Um, and I don't I don't think they've even put it out on their own official YouTube channel. Every it, it's all on YouTube if you if you want to watch it in, in fairly good quality. And it's all they're all uh, unauthorized streams, but that's you know that's just what it uh, where where it's at right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why they they won't just put it up, but you know you're not always getting logical decisions with with this kind of thing. I guess they feel the interest just isn't there. Yeah. Back to the creepiness factor. I keep bringing that back, but mm-hmm. I wanted to say something earlier and I forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we mentioned Ulysses Beard as something that would chew uh, me off as a kid, but there was something else I didn't like in the show at all, but it was amazing at the same time. It was the fact that in the first episode, they introduced you to all those people, like his friends, yeah. the crewmates, mm-hmm. and then they become like basically non-entities for the rest of the show, and it just... Ulysses, the robot, and the two kids. And I thought, as a kid, this scared me. Like, the show, this show is kind of about loneliness. Everybody they meet in space is usually not a good person. You should mm-hmm. not trust everybody. And it, there's a lot of empty, it's, it's, it feels very empty. And I remember that it, it made me anxious as a kid. Mm-hmm. This, like, feeling of empty, the content feeling of loneliness and emptiness compared to Star Wars, which is a very, very busy galaxy, you know? Mm-hmm cool aliens anywhere so yeah. it's li- i think this contributed to make the show so a lo- uh, have a, a lasting appeal for me this feeling that mm-hmm. it created inside of me a, a lonely journey through like a very big and rich universe i think that yeah that that leaves an yeah. impression for sure um yeah i think that's a good summary of yeah. it yeah and I, I talking about that first episode i don't know if this uh this happened in the french version i know in the english dub um Nestor uh, gives that very helpful line uh, where he says, like, I think it's like he can't believe he's like, what what is a what is an ancient Greek god doing in the 31st century? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, it makes me. I, I watched the first episode a few times. It makes me laugh every, every time he he helpelly points out the premise. Um, yeah, he says something similar in, in the first episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's a helpful. It's a it's a quick way to remember the audience. The yeah. characters don't really know about all the weird. <laughs> Greek stuff that's happening. Yeah. Just in case anything was unclear up to that point. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that uh, that just about does it uh, for today. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, Mike, well, can you let people know where uh, where you are on social media and on the Internet these days? Well, uh, I, I do most of my uh, posting on Twitter. At uh, Michael Tool is my uh, my handle. I do I still do occasional pieces for Anime News Network. I'm not as active as I uh, used to be writing for that site, and uh, I still do occasional production work for Discotech Media. Uh, my next big project is Project Echo. We're releasing that on Blu-ray uh, in December. Oh my god! Yeah, Can't wait. yeah. We 
We got the original I, film. We got the original film elements, scanned it in, and corrected it so it looks better than it has ever looked. And uh, I've, I do narration for two documentaries, uh, one of them full length, like forty five minutes long, about the I music love of that Project movie. Yeah, it's an important. Yeah. We've. I hope everyone has learned now that any story you hear about a warehouse fire making original, um, making original materials for a film unavailable is probably a lie. They probably just don't know where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aco was lost for, and many other films, uh, as it turns out, was lost for decades because of a really? clerical error. Because they, they, you know, there was a piece of paper that said it's not here when in fact it was there, and someone just needed to go down and eyeball it in person and find it and pull it out. But uh, but we 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 got it. It's coming out uh, in December, and I look forward to it. Okay. I will. All right, and uh, and Etienne, where can people find you on social media, and uh, or what uh, what are you working on right now? Well, right now my comic is on hiatus, so I'm not doing much. I guess I'm, I'm yep. just posting art on my Twitter these days, uh, which is uh, Omega Dez, D E Z on Twitter. Not that hard to find. Uh, and thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I was super happy to, uh, to share my point of view, my French Canadian point of view, uh, in this, pod- in, in this very Canadian podcast. Yeah. No, it was great having you on. And I'm glad we were able to have such a, a, a great discussion on, uh, Ulysses 31. And I'm glad I uh-huh. finally had an excuse to watch the show because I, it, honestly, it's something I, until a few years ago, I had only heard of and I never really, really looked into that much. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I got to see it. So yeah. I was so happy to, uh, I was so happy to find people that that are willing to listen to me talk about the old cartoons I love because yeah. usually uh, hmm. people don't care at all. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in to Zon in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron. You can find that on his album Packet Flood at ultrakleistron.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. See you again. Yeah.